and welcome to Three Gens Theology. I'm uh, Dan Hayden, and uh, we're here with my father-in-law, Dr. Jim Ruff, and uh, behind the scenes there is my son, Cy Hayden, and this three generations of our family are glad to get together once again to talk about theology. We're in the midst of bibliology and uh, glad to bring this to you. We believe it's a high importance to uh, grow in your walk in, in faith, and we want to be a help, a support to come alongside you as you uh, grow, uh, grow in your understanding of the scriptures, grow in your walk uh, in, in Christ, and uh, we're excited about doing that. And we hope to be a real help to you in, the, in that way. And so we're uh, excited about talking about his word with you again, again today. So let's uh, start with a word of prayer together. Lord, we come before you today. Help us as we look into your word that uh, it would be lifted high in our minds, in our lives. Um, Lord, that we could plant our, our everyday living on it, plant our worldviews, our, our framework on it. Help us as we discuss it today that uh, it would be uh, clearly stated, but also, Lord, that it would be a great help to those who, who are taking this in. Uh, may you be lifted high in our discussion today. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. Well, as you know, we have been looking at uh, principles of Bible uh, interpretation. Uh, we have spent a good amount of time actually talking about uh, some things that we need to remember as we're trying to interpret the Word of God. And we've been learning that we need to put on the truths of the Word of God and lay aside those things that God's Word tells us should not be part of our lives as Christians. Through this learning, we're building a theology, a personal theology, as we've discussed before. And we also need to accept that the Word of God is not only applicable to our lives, but that we need to be taking its truths and presenting it effectively and meaningfully to other people. As God blesses our church uh, with those who are coming from other ethnic groups, other countries, um, we need to be thoughtful as to how we're going to go about taking the truth that we've learned and without uh, violating their customs, without uh, presenting the Word of God in a way that will somehow make it less uh, acceptable, we want to be able to take its truths and bring them to them as well. Of course, the gospel is the first thing they're going to need. They need to come to Christ. But after that, as we are discipling them, we're, we need to be sensitive, need to be sensitive uh, about the areas of their lives that are affected by the culture and the customs from which they have come. The scriptures themselves can be offensive enough in their truth on their own and so we don't want to add um, our presentation of it yes. to be that way, our, um, the cultural separation to add to that, right? That's right. Yeah. And when we talk about the offensiveness of Scripture, we're not saying that the Scriptures were written specifically to offend. What we mean right. is that when we're talking to an individual and we present the truth that Scripture tells us that all have sinned and have come short, of the glory of God. That in itself is offensive. Right. No one wants to think of themselves as being a sinner, right. but that offense that the word has built into it because of the need that 
we as human beings have to recognize what our real condition is right. is is enough. Yeah, and in varying cultures, there's varying offense of um, the inability to remedy that issue, the the uh, the falling short aspect. I mean, there's different ways in which that sense of um, uh, sense of failure uh, hits hits not only that culture but individuals in that culture. That's right. And so that that the scriptures and the Holy Spirit will will do that work that it should do. And so we don't want to do a work that shouldn't be done <laughs> right <laughs> uh, alongside that. Right. That is true. We we in no way ever want to water down the gospel. Right. The gospel is transcultural. It it meets the needs of all people everywhere. But we do need to recognize the fact that as we present God's truth, we are presenting it in a form that is going to be most meaningful to the people we're presenting it to. And by doing that, we help them to learn, to understand uh, the message of the word without being somehow turned off by all the noise, the worldview noise that is there in the presentation. I think it's funny. This is not what we intended to talk about, but I think it's funny. Um, I have often said that if you have come to know Christ, you know enough to share the gospel to someone else, right? And I think that I completely think that's true. But that doesn't mean that we should just rest in that and always share it the way that we came to know Christ, because that's not this. There is only one way to come to God, and that is through Christ, right? But the the way that we share of Christ can be a whole a, a whole gamut of ways. Yes. And so, um, to some people, the fact that they need to hear that they are a sinner and that they have fallen short, and others need to hear that God has a great concern for them, and and so there's a there's a whole uh, spread a, a spread of, of ways know. to share that right. tr- that one truth. Yes, you know. Yes. Um, and well, and so we need to grow in our understanding of Scripture and grow in our understanding of people. Yes. And so not being um, barely knowing Christ, just knowing the gospel is enough to share it, and God can do a great work with it. But we shouldn't stop in pursuing uh, the scriptures in a better way and our care, pursuing our understanding and care for people right. in a better way right. in order to better, to better share it. So neither, neither should be true. We shouldn't, we shouldn't not share the gospel right. because we don't think we're good <laughs> enough, but also we shouldn't think um, that... Well, my I, I came to know Christ this way. That's all I need to know. Neither of those should be should be true, right? And right. it's the same with, with with teaching any truth that we have, not just the gospel. So, the more and more we know about the Scripture, the way we teach it would be that same way. One thing that we've discussed briefly, but needs to be brought up when we're talking about this subject, is as we're applying the Scriptures, we realize the fact that that application is going to take place through the deliverance of actual teachings of the Word of God that are appropriate to the situation that we're in, that are appropriate to the person we're ministering to. Let me give you a couple of examples of that. One thing that we could do for, a, with, uh, for an individual, for example, who has grown up in a society in which there has been fear of spirits, is to present the, the Word of God in such a way that we deal with the fact that all fear is removed 
through the love of God being manifest in a person's life. If we're dealing with an individual who has, is from a, an honor-shame culture, for example, we can emphasize the fact that God has not been honored in the presentation of, of their lives for, for living in this world. And that as a result of that, it's brought shame upon God, and that is shaming them for having done that. But God, in his grace, despite his being the, the creator of all things, has come up with a way by which he can use his truth to reach us, to bring us in our state of shame to a place where we receive through the shameful death of his son on the cross the opportunity to have the privilege of being children of God. A, a different way to present the gospel, yes, but just as biblical and just as meaningful. One other illustration is the church. The, the Bible tells us what the functions of the church are. We're going to talk about that extensively when we talk about ecclesiology, but it does not tell us the form that the church has to take in any one particular society. One of the, the things that we used to do to... Uh, uh, kind of shock people in that regard is to show a photograph of a man who is standing with a suit coat and a tie and a white shirt inside of a living room with chairs that are set up holding a hymnal with a group of people who were sitting there in loincloths. The, the whole idea of this being the type of service that would be appropriate to touch them at their heart's need is, is wrong. There's something out of focus there. We need to recognize that a form is something that comes culturally to be the most appropriate way of reaching the people within that culture. But the functions all have to be there. Right, and there's levels to that. The, I think, um, I think either goes one way or the other. Right, you have, you either have the, uh, the hard and fast. Uh, well, I have to wear a suit and tie, so I don't care that they're, you know, that I look completely different to them. I'm gonna wear a, you know, suit and tie to to sing my hymns. But you also have the flip side of that that we see a lot here in America of the the cultural side takes so much precedent that we lose the scriptural side. Right. Exactly. And so uh, there has exactly. to be that middle ground of we can't lose scripture in the trying to trying. If you, if you lose scripture trying to win souls, are you really winning souls? Right. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. And so that's, that's a, that's part of that as well. Right. Yep. Okay. So let me, let me jump in this, this discussion is great, but I think what we had talked about was there's kind of uh, different levels of application. What, what typically Christians think about is taking God's word and applying it to their life, mm -hmm. whatever that truth is to their life. There's another level of taking in the scripture and building a theology, which is what we're trying to work on mostly with doing these podcasts right. is ha ha helping people to not just take in a, a single scripture and apply that to their life, but take in the whole of scripture and build a theology for themselves. Um, but then there's another level of, of relaying that theology to others. 
And, and so right. that, that's really where a lot of this comes in that we're talking about, is how to take the truths of scriptures and, and bring them to others' lives, which we believe every disciple, every believer should be doing. Exactly. Right? Every believer. It's not just a missionary that we send around the world. It's not just the clergy. It's not just the super Christians. It's every believer should be taking the truth of scriptures and relaying them to other people. And, right. we, and the, the cultural understandings need to be there as we're doing that. Right. Okay. And I think the point is, and we have not gone astray from this point, the point is this is all application. Right. It's all application. It's just different levels, yep. if you will, right. and areas of application yep. of the word. So why don't we do this? Why don't we take some examples from the scriptures? Right. And look at those to see how a passage that otherwise might seem um, lost in its greater context. In other words, we'll be asking ourselves, how do I take that truth or some truth that's in that passage, recognize it and apply it to my life? And so we'll start with that with the, uh, the book of Job in the Old Testament. Most of us are familiar with Job from the perspective of uh, how Job went through a terrible situation, uh, had friends around him who didn't understand what he was experiencing, uh, were continually blaming him for what he was going through without having any idea of what was taking place from the perspective of God and what he had said about his servant Job. We're going to look at a passage that's from the very end of Job's speaking in the book. Um, if we look at chapter 31, we find that it's the continuation of his defense. Basically, Job is, has reached the place where he's saying, okay, you've all been saying to me, it, I must have done something wrong. Um, if I had the opportunity to defend myself before God, these are the kinds of things that I would say. And so he proceeds to list the things that had been true during his lifetime that were, in fact, demonstrations of the very righteousness that God had in mind when he turned to Satan and said, Have you seen my servant Job? There is not a more righteous man that walks upon the earth. And here he is giving his defense, if you will, the last defense he gives before uh, Elihu stands and then God appears. So we're going to look at uh, verses 13 and following for a moment. If I have despised the claim, my male or female slaves, when they filed a complaint against me, what then could I do when God arises? And when he calls me to account, what will I answer him? Did not he who made me in the womb make me or make him and the same one fashion us in the womb? This passage is interesting because it, as part of his defense, Job is saying, when was the time that I ever stopped listening to the claims that were brought to me by my male or female slaves about problems that they were experiencing? If they filed a complaint against me, Job thought, what could I do? If God comes before me and says to me, Job, you are guilty, how could I defend myself if I had not listened to their complaint? 
That's what Job is really saying. He's saying, I, God would justly judge me if I had mistreated these slaves who worked for me. And then he says, and when he calls me to account, what will I answer him? So Job has been crying for the Lord to step in and to give him the opportunity to defend himself. But now he's reached the point where he's saying, if God should arise and be before me and ask me about my behavior, would he be able to point to the way I had treated my slaves and say, look, you didn't listen to their complaint and you haven't listened to me. But then he adds to that a passage which is absolutely incredible in its power. Did not he who made me in the womb make him and the same one fashion us in the womb? So what Job is saying is, I am no different than my servant. Mm. I am no different than my slave. The same God who made me made him. There's nothing that I can turn to that would make me better than him. And so as we think about application of this passage, while it is true that we are not Job, and while it is true that um, we did not have thousands of servants and uh, a huge family and all of the wealth that he had, we may not be in that situation. But we do see two beautiful theological truths that come out of this passage. The one is that even in a time when slavery was considered to be a normal thing, when you had individuals who had been captured, for example, or who were serving you because they were poor and could do nothing else. They were to be treated with respect. And the other is, they were to be treated with respect because they were created by God. They were made by God. They were allowed to be born by God just the same way as Job. And so we, as we look at our own lives, need to recognize that as Jesus taught, the person who wants to be greatest needs to be the servant of all. The individual who wants to recognize that God is a God of impartiality, he isn't a God who looks at faces. Literally, that's what that means. If, he's te if we see this teaching all the way through Scripture, Absolutely, this is a theological principle that we need to be applying to our lives. That's good. So, Dan, I think you have, or no, Sai, si, you, you want to go next? Yeah, yeah. Go next. Yep. Uh, yeah, that was great. Um, so, we, uh, as we go through a couple of different passages here, we wanted to make sure we were doing uh, a, a variety. So, I have, uh, I chose to do Galatians, uh, Galatians 2. I talked about it last week, if that's what I'm going through with youth group. So, it was, uh, it was fresh on the mind. But we're going to read uh, Galatians 2.16. Yet we know uh, that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. 
Uh, and so um, I've talked a lot about my love for my love for story and, and my love for, uh, you know, understanding, understanding the big picture. Uh, and so I we talked some last week about, you know, understanding kind of how each passage uh, fits into into each into the rest of Scripture. And so I, I'm, I almost think about like a, a nesting doll of as you kind of uncover each each grouping. So um we understand uh, Galatians two sixteen is probably not a earth shattering uh, verse uh, for for any of our listeners, um, but uh, we we want to understand where Galatians two sixteen fits into the rest of the book of Galatians. So we'll start there. That's, that'll be our, our first nesting doll. So we look at uh, there's there's a. a to, to use one verse to figure out the entire context of Galatians is probably uh, is probably not great, uh, but for, as for time, we'll use Galatians 1, 6 through 7. Uh, so Paul says here, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ, right? And so as we look at Galatians, we see here Paul saying, look, you're, you, you have, I, I came to you, I, we talked, I, I shared the gospel with you, and now there's this other group coming in that's sharing a different gospel, right? And so we understand that the book of Galatians, Paul here is... Is, is is arguing against this other group, right? And so that helps us as we look here at Galatians 2.16 to understand uh, that they, it helps to put that in context to understand that they were using the law, right? We know uh, through, some, through some more study that we see that this other group is called the Judaizers, right? And so they're coming in and saying, that's great that you're a Christian, but now that you're a Christian, you have to follow, uh, follow the law, right? Jesus was a Jew. Uh, the, the, he came out of the Jewish way, and so you need to be a Jew as, Jew as well. You need to follow the law, right? And so uh, that gives us the context there uh, for Galatians. Paul's arguing against this, and he comes through and says, no, no, it's not the law, right? It's not works. It's by faith. Right, uh, and so um, we see that as as kind of as the the timeless principle. Uh, it's by faith you are saved. Uh, but we want to be careful, like we talked about last week, not just to take one verse uh, and and have that be the crux of our theological standpoint. Uh, and so we want to kind of put that into the rest of Scripture, right? Uh, and so one area we one verse we see is Romans three twenty eight. Again, not. Not a, a crazy, I'm, I'm sure you guys have heard it, but uh, for we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law, right? And so we see that as another passage that backs up uh, that is by faith you are saved. And then another one that I love going to is Hebrews 11, right? We see the hall of faith, which that's even a fun one because it goes through a whole bunch of Old Testament uh, believers, right? A whole bunch of people that were following the law. Uh, but here in Hebrews 11, we see that it wasn't because they did some great thing. And in fact, as you look at a lot of them, they did a lot of really bad stuff, <laughs> right? right? Uh, but we see that it is by their their faith that they were saved, right? That's what, acc- that's what accredited them uh, their salvation, right? Um, and so, we see in those two, and there's certainly a lot more that we can go to, we can see just in those the backup for that, right? That we see that it is by faith and not by works, right? And so then as we uh, begin to, uh, we begin place that into the into the entirety of history, right? We see that the entirety of history is pointing back or forward to Christ's death and resurrection, right? It, it all goes back to his, uh, his defeating death, his defeating sin, right? And that 
that is the faith that we're talking about, the faith that that he came and he did that for us and that he is uh, alive and wants to and wants and he wants us to worship him and to uh, live forever with him. Right. And so as we begin to kind of to to peel these pieces off, I know I we did that quickly, but that's a that's a huge part of 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 study, right? As we talk about bibliology, as we talk about studying scripture, asking those questions of, okay, I know what this passage says, and it might even be a passage like this where you know the truth, right? It's, it's, it should be easy, right? But to take the time to step back and say, okay, well, how does this fit into this book? How does this fit into the New Testament? How does this fit into the Old Testament? How does this fit into, into all of history, right? It's huge for us as we study through scripture, right? And so um, I, I love I love these, these passages. It talks about um, faith over works because Obviously, in we see in Scripture that the Jewish uh, belief system was all based on works, right? But as we look at as we look at our own lives, as we look at our culture effort, especially uh, as as we as I am in the in a, an American culture, right? It's so easy to feel like oh, I, I I'm not doing enough, or I'm not uh, I haven't done enough, or or I need to you know get God. God doesn't love me because I've had this things happen to me, right? And all these, all the ideas of of works, all these idea that I need to be good enough, I need to do this, I need to do that. It's not the that's not it at all, right? That's a that's a poor theology, and it, that one especially creeps in so quickly, right? We know we know all the facts, uh, but as we as we live life very quickly, that theology. Uh, gets muddied because we feel like we haven't done enough or we haven't done this, this or that, right? And so um, those the truths of these passages where they were meant for Jewish people following the law, they very quickly apply to us in modern day as we look at our own lives and feel like we need to do enough to be saved. Mm-hmm. That's good. So in both very these good. passages, we are following some of those recommendations of the of, uh uh, looking into studying the scriptures, taking a real life story and bringing out timeless truths from mm-hmm. them, uh, taking in teaching and comparing them with other scriptures, um, taking in the verse and looking at the paragraph and looking at the book and looking at the the uh, New T- New Testament, you know, and then the whole Bible. Uh, those are those are it's exactly what we want you to practice. Mm-hmm. Right to do those things. So what I'm going to look at is uh, to take a section in the Gospels, Mark 6. I'm going to read a little bit of a passage, but I'm going to focus on the very end of it. And I'm going to f- do a lot of the observe. And so observe was one of the first things that we talked about um, in it. And so uh, I'm going to do that. So Mark 6, starting in verse 45. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida. While he himself was sending the crowd away, after bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. When it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night he came to them, walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were were terrified." But immediately he spoke to them and said to them, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished. 
for they had not gained any insight from the incident with the loaves, but their heart was hardened. Okay, so there's so many things to observe in this passage that I'm going to not observe for time. Um, but what I do want to take a note of is near the end, uh, where, first of all, they, um, they saw something on the water, and their first thought was it was a ghost. Mm-hmm. You know, that was, what they, that was what they jumped to, which really doesn't make any sense, but that's what they jumped to as their own assessment of reality. Um, and then Christ comes in and uh, comes to the boat, gets in, and the wind stops, showing his authority over the, the authority over the water to be able to walk on the water that the storm doesn't bother him. He gets in the boat. He doesn't even need to get in the boat because he could just keep walking on the water, but he gets in the boat with them. And then he controls, he controls the storm. Um, and they were astonished, which is perfectly fitting that they were astonished. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if we're, right, we're right there with them. They would be astonished. So verse 52 says they had not gained any insight from the incident with the loaves. So Christ multiplying food to feed thousands and thousands of people wasn't anything that really caught their attention. But him walking on water and getting in the boat and stopping the winds that they're astonished at. Now, really, they should be astonished at all of it because it's all miraculous. Um, now, I know all kinds of mothers who have taken leftovers and made some great meals out of leftovers, but they had food to make it with, <laughs> right? They, they didn't take nothing and make something out of it. They didn't take one piece of thing and feed an army out of it. That's not how that went. Um, But they saw the incident with the loaves, and they didn't gain any insight from that. And then it ends with their heart was hardened. And when I see that, uh, my mind immediately goes to the plagues in Egypt, when Pharaoh's heart was hardened. And it was much of the same way. God is showing his authority over everything, and yet Pharaoh is so stuck to his way, stuck to his thinking, that he's not going to change his mind. He's not going to change what he's thinking. And it was really that way with these disciples. They saw what was happening with the loaves, but they were either caught up in what they had to do or caught up in what they assumed Jesus was supposed to be, that they couldn't allow for what was true to affect them. Mm-hmm. And then when they're confronted with him walking on the water and him stopping the storm, somehow that was more than they could um, confront with their thinking. Um, I, I just want to say, as you think about observing that there and then and bringing it to our day, 
we face this, but I want to talk about those who don't know Christ. There are people who are confronted with the truth of Christ. They see it. They recognize it. But they are stuck in their thinking so much that they cannot allow it to be true. They just can't allow it to be true. Now, let me bring that to me. There are truths about the scriptures. <laughs> there are truths that should apply to my life that I know are there, and I'm so stubborn that I don't want them to be true. And uh, it's bad all around. It was bad for the disciples. It's bad for the person who comes and needs to come to know Christ. And it's bad for me. Because the truths of who Christ is, the truths of the scriptures, are right. And when we ignore them in our pride, in our stubbornness, in our stiff-neckedness, in our whatever, it is bad for us. It's always bad for us. And so this, this picture, just this little add-on in this little note here, not only that they were astonished, but then verse 52, that they had not gained insight from the loaves and that their heart was hardened. It's, a, again, just observing, being observant of these little phrases that we buzz by as we're reading a story is really good to bring us um, um, a reality to the story that we can then um, understand it's there and then, but the truth of who we are, the truth of the kind of people we are, there are times we can put ourselves in the story. Yes. There's times that putting ourselves in the story is not a good plan because we, we aren't them, but there's times where it is fitting to put ourselves in the story because it's the same mindset, that stubborn stiff-neckedness. Yeah, me, me too. You know, and Good. so I really like Good. Um, that kind of picture. Couple of comments, um, and this passage is a good one to use uh, as we're thinking about our understanding, drawing these principles out of Scripture. Uh, there are some things that can sort of stumble us in the process. For example, many of our Bibles will actually have a heading. Uh, Jesus walks on the water is the one that's in mine and, right. and yours. That heading actually breaks a passage into a specific unit, a pericope, a discussion of some specific issue. But the problem is that when you read verse 52, you realize that everything that was written above verse 45 pertains directly to what right. you Pastor got, Dan just went you through. you got to know the love story in order to catch the importance of, exactly. of the not not affected by the incident. Exactly. Right. And by the way, the same thing is true of chapter divisions. Mm -hmm. Don't always assume that because there is a chapter division where it is, that it's a beginning of something new. It can be mm -hmm. that that chapter division was put in right in the middle of something that is a continuation. Yeah. There are definitely chapter there are definitely chapter divisions that are like what what why, why did why you did do it there? there? Right. There are <laughs> yeah. definitely chapter exactly. divisions like that. Yeah. So watching for those things is is uh, just a comment that needs to be added especially because as Sai was was developing the greater context and he was talking about the basic the various places in scripture where the concept of faith being what God is looking for uh, is to be found, 
we always recognize that there is a broad context, the scriptures, that we need to test our theological insights against. Mm -hmm. And if we find that it's only limited to this one place, then maybe it's not something that we can make universal to all of our lives. Mm -hmm. But when we can find a passage, any one of the three that we've looked at today, that when you draw the principle out and you see it illustrated throughout Scripture, we recognize this is a principle that God wants us to consider for our lives as well. I don't think any of us have these passages for this purpose, but I think all three of these passages have have both things that we can take today and focus on mm -hmm. and things that are part of a broader theology. Right. Um, and so I think that's an in interesting thing to consider, too, that as we look at applying Scripture— um, we don't have to be stuck in, well, I'm just looking at what can apply today, or, boy, I'm really trying to build a bigger picture. It's You can do both. Yes. You know, you can do both. Because um, like in this one, for me to say, boy, I've got to be tender to what God wants to teach me in truth. I've got to be tender to that. That's a, that's a truth for me today, right? I mean, that's, a, yes. that's a, an immediate thing. Um, but at the same time, a, a broader picture of God's authority over everything um, his his power and the way that he has displayed that uh, throughout the scriptures, um, you know, th those are that's a that's a, a broader theo theological truth. It is, you know. So yes, uh, as you're as you're observing a passage, you actually end up often doing with the ability to do both. It's not always that way, obviously. Right. When you read a passage, but the ability to do both. But that passage is so good for reminding us of the fact that we gain supernatural insights from Scripture. We are not unwilling to accept the fact that our God does supernatural things, right. that Jesus was in control of the, the features of nature mm -hmm. in his day. Every one of them was under his control. And that by itself becomes an insight that we're going to plug immediately into not only our understanding of who God is right. and what he can do, but also our understanding of who Christ is, what he did, and what he can do. I think size Galatians passage, it's actually the same, the same truth that is both immediately applicable and, <laughs> and uh, more theological. The idea uh -huh. that it is uh, faith that saves and not works, um, that he just gives me that righteousness. That, that, that is a, certainly a larger theological truth that we see in multiple places in the scriptures, but it is something that I, rejo that I rejoice in today, yes. you know, that, that it changes my mindset today as I live. So it, it's the same truth that is both immediately uh, applied to life and the broader theology as well. And going back to the Job passage, in the climate that we're in today, right. with all of the concerns about not only the, the right. uh, picture of how racism is to be dealt with, but also the question of, Absolutely. is the Bible a racist book? Right. We have answered that question right. by yeah, a passage that for, nobody would even caring think for the lowly, Caring for the lowly. I mean, there's so many uh, uh, immediate... Uh, 
um, applications of that passage, but also the truth that that the scriptures, even from the time of of the writing of Job, which is very early, yes, um, that it would have set out that as an understanding of the way uh, a godly person would view mankind. Absolutely, right. Absolutely. Not to get too far in the weeds, but that's even something that Allison has talked. My wife has talked a lot about the irony of that's what. The early church, that's why it exploded, because they, they cared for the widow, they cared for the downtrodden, they cared for the—in a culture where where the where the lowly wasn't cared for, mm-hmm. the right. church was there to care for them, right? right? And right. now now it's viewed as—it's viewed the opposite almost in our in our culture, partially because we, the church, have done badly, um, but it's it's ironic as we look at Scripture, the, you know, the, the care we see for, for all of—for the— yeah. The, for the low in society. Right. Yes. Yep. Amen. So in observing, um, in, in bringing application to these sections of Scripture, we wanted to have particular sections uh, that we talked about in applying, um, in, in working through observing and in context and, and the there and then, and then bringing about how we might apply them to our life. We went through those quickly. Uh, for time, um, but I think you can see um, how that even even being observant in in small sections uh, can bring about uh, great truths about who God is, how He works with man, um, and then help to also build within context of other sections uh, begin to build that framework of a of a larger theology, um, which is what we are um, hoping to continue to do. As we, as we talk with you. And we want you to be comfortable in applying the Word of God, right. to feel confident that you can take its truths, not only apply it to your life, but to your growth in your overall understanding of God's work and His Word, and then apply it as you share it with yeah. others. So we've talked mostly about that personal application today. Uh, I think the next time uh, we're going to talk more about... Uh, Building, building more of a general truth and then relaying it to others and some of the cautions we have about those things and, and some questions about those, right? So we're looking forward to that. Well, thank you for joining us today, and I hope that you have been encouraged. Uh, dig into God's Word. Uh, take in its truth. Um, not every we, we picked three passages. Not every passage that you read, you're going to think, man, that is a gem that I have loved, and I have, it's just exploded in my, in my mind. Um, but what happens is, as we are into the Scriptures, there, there are plenty like that, and um, it, it's, it's good. And there may be a passage that, as you read it one time, it was dry and text on a page. And, but maybe the next time that you read through it, the Lord will allow you to see something in it that is, that is impactful. Um, so uh, dig into God's word, take in its truth, observe, keep it in context, see what it's saying there and then, see how it compares to other passages, and then bring that timeless truth out and see how it might apply in your life and how it might be shared in others. Thank you for joining us. Uh, like us, hit, uh, give a review, um, and share with others about uh, um, taking in these podcasts. It's great. And we appreciate it. Uh, communicate with us through email or through um, through comments on YouTube. And um, email is pd at crossbridgeindy.com. And we'd love to hear from you. Thank you for joining us today.